0: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ted Stevenot. Welcome to my first podcast on the topic of Central Committee. I'm going to be doing a series of these podcasts, uh, basically following the format of the book I wrote on this topic called Rigged, How the Establishment Controls Elections and How the Citizens Can Take Them Back. If you go to my website, tedstevenot.com, if you sign up for my email list, I'll send you the first chapter of the book for free. Uh, also, if you join my email list, we, um, I send a message out maybe once a week, uh, maybe a little bit more frequently if anything exciting is happening. Uh, But it's a great way to stay in touch, and uh, also, if you're interested in purchasing the book, it's available on Amazon, and links are also on the website. So, I appreciate you listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Ted Stevenel, and welcome to the first podcast uh, in a series of podcasts that I'm going to record about the topic of Central Committee. Um for many people those terms central committee don't have any meaning like what is that that's a that's a kind of a jargon term um but what it really relates to is the process uh, that the citizens could engage in to take the political parties back from the current establishment people who control them um this is probably a story that applies to both parties um so you know i i mean i generally speak in terms of republicans and gop um a liberty-based kind of guy and uh uh, but I, you know, I wouldn't think that if somebody who is on the other side, you know, considering especially in the in the modern climate of, you know, kind of the fight between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, um, there are a lot of people on the Democrat side that are unhappy with their party's establishment as well, <clears throat> and they're looking for answers. So uh, even if you have a Democrat friend, I suppose some of this would, would be would be helpful. So um, so the, the issue is the parties and uh, what impact they have. Um, I, I wrote a book about this topic uh, in the fall of 2015. Um, and I've taught this subject many times and kind of uh, the format sort of starts in different places. And, and I'm not really certain there's any great, perfect way to kind of lay it all out. So I, what I thought I'd do is just follow the format of the book. Um, the book I wrote is called Rigged. Uh, how the establishment controls elections and how the citizens can take them back. And everything I've ever read about, you know, how to introduce people to a new topic is you're supposed to start with why. Um, But I think if you're a listener to this podcast or you're listening to this, you probably already know why. I mean, the issue is, I mean, our country is really not headed in the right direction. And I mean, just everywhere you look in terms of of, any kind of a data-driven, you know, analysis, um, people are very unhappy with the direction of the country. Um, Congress right now... Has an approval rating of about thirteen percent, which is pretty hel- held pretty much that at that, that level for a while. It goes up and down a little bit, but I mean that's you know the the rough average. If you go um, in the book, I I focus on twenty fourteen in particular because I had all the numbers for that year. Um, in in twenty fourteen, in November of that year, <clears throat> Congress had an approval rating of thirteen uh, percent. However, ninety six percent or over ninety six percent of incumbents were. Re-elected, congressional inc- incumbents were reelected to office Um and so just looking at that number right there you know suggests that you know there is something wrong here I mean if people are that unhappy with what's going on and now some people suggest well people are just they're happy with their own representative but it's other people's representatives they're not happy with and I just think that's a ridiculous I mean that's I don't accept that answer as a reason for letting the status quo continue. Um, I think that if people knew better about what their current representatives were doing uh, in terms of the, their voting record, uh, how many times they vote for new spending and you know crazy bills that are difficult, and how how wrapped around the establishment axle they, they really are, a lot of people would change their their tune. And and I and we there's some there's a story that I'll tell on a later podcast about how we replaced our congressperson in 2012 and and saw evidence of that. Um, she had numbers that were at a certain level, and as time went by, people learned more about the vote she had taken, and all of a sudden her numbers started to, to have, have problems. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that everybody's, A, informed about what their representative's doing, or B, truly happy with them, or C, would be happy with them if they knew all the details. But we'll set that aside for the moment. The fundamental idea uh, is that the system as it's set up and I, and I don't make a suggestion throughout this series that the system is really wrong. Um, my fundamental issue is the system as it stands actually works well. Um, even the party structures work pretty well. Um, what's really the missing ingredient is the people. Um, most people don't think about the party infrastructure. Most people instead just think about general elections. Um and if you look at the voting statistics, I mean, you know, maybe an average of about one in four show up to vote in the primary, depending on where you are. Sometimes more, sometimes less. You, you can see the numbers change. And there's, you know, so for example, this last primary, both the Republicans and the Democrats had presidential primary contests that were serious for people, and so the turnout was really good relative to other years because a lot of people were participating. But in general, it's about one in four. Um, you see, uh, even in general elections. You know, a presidential year you might see in the 70s somewhere. There's a significant number of people who don't participate at all in the process. But um, what we have uh, happening is people vote and it doesn't seem to change things. And when I first heard about Central Committee, um, it was introduced to me uh, under the kind of in the following way, uh, Rick Heron, who's my kind of my mentor on this, uh, he came to me and said, hey, you know, um, have you ever been to an election and not liked your choices you know, have you ever been in the ballot box and looked at the two choices that are in and thought, I don't like either of these? And a common expression people use relative to this is they say, well, you know, they're voting for the lesser of two evils. And I thought, hell yeah, that happens all the time. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I and if I speak in front of a group and I ask that question, I say, hey, how many of you have been to an election and don't like your choices? Um, you know, people say, well, that's happened all the time. Everybody the raises their hand. <clears throat> and Rick said to me, he says, well, how would you like to change that? How would you like to be the person who decides which, pers- which name goes on the ballot? And I thought, well, that would be pretty cool. And when I ask groups of this, when we're teaching this this topic, I mean, everybody agrees, nods their heads and says, yeah, that'd be great. And like, how'd you, how'd you like to have more influence over deciding who ultimately becomes the person who's on the ballot? And so that kind of opens the topic. And as we go in another episode, I'll go through and describe a lot more of this in detail. <clears throat> um, but I think it's important even just kind of, you know, drill into some of the detail now. Um, since the early 1800s, essentially our pro- Our country has uh, had this process uh, where district lines, political district lines were drawn. It's um, they, they call it redistricting, but the common term that's sort of a slang term that relates to it that's been around for a couple hundred years <clears throat> is the term gerrymandering. Um, and this word is uh, uh, <clears throat> is a confluence, whatever it's a con- combination of two two words. Uh, one is the word salamander, referring to the you know salamander, the lizard, and the, and the other is, a person named Eldridge Jerry, who was uh, one of the early founding fathers of the country. I mean, I believe he signed the Declaration of Independence and the Articles of Confederation. Um, He was a governor in um, uh, Massachusetts uh, uh, in the early 1800s. And he um, used a process to draw district lines for the state senate. I mean, there's a whole story of it where they, they drew these lines in order to favor his party. And a journalist at the time took a picture of one of the districts and he thought it looked like a salamander. And so what happened was the two words came together, ger- jerry and salamander, and became gerrymander. <clears throat> and it refers to this issue of drawing pre- district lines that, to favor one party or the other. So you could find in an area roughly, you know, how many people have a propensity to vote your way or to vote your, your, for your party. And if you draw the lines right, you can fill a district full of people that think the same way or pretty much the same way. Um, and win elections. And this process has gone on for, you know, hundreds of years. Um, so now we have today about 80 percent or a little over 80 percent of congressional districts are, are gerrymandered such that in the November general election, one party is heavily favored. OK, it, it might be Democrats, it might be Republicans, doesn't matter. But one of the one or the other party <clears throat> will have a, just kind of like a fallen off a log victory uh, in the general Um, One of the stories we looked at years ago, you know, writing about this was in Chicago. uh, There was a story of Jesse Jackson Jr. had had some issues legally. I mean, I don't know the details, but he had won in the primary. In essence, he was really like a non-candidate for the general. Um, I don't believe he appeared in public much, if at all. He was basically, you know, kind of put his hands up and say uh, he didn't withdraw, but he wasn't really trying very hard. And he's still won by an overwhelming majority uh, in the district. Um, there's story after story of how uh, candidates, regardless of what they do, <clears throat> just because they have the right letter by their name, win in November. And so <clears throat> that contributes greatly to this issue of 96% of incumbents getting reelected. If everybody thinks, well, I'm going to remember in November to change things, <clears throat> what happens is they don't change things. I mean, they come up against this gerrymander, this this district line stuff, uh, that's just really insurmountable or they're given a false choice. So if they say, well, I don't like my current representative because he or she's not, you know, as, as, you know, conservative as I like, or as fiscally responsible as I like. So they get to the, the polling, uh, location and, and they're given a false choice. They, they can't vote for the other side who they deem to be even worse. So they end up picking the quote unquote lesser of two evils. <clears throat> so this goes on. And and I remember years ago hearing people use that word, remember in November, and, uh, it does apply to certain elections, um. If you have a statewide election, like in Ohio, for example, um, you know for governor or for senator, um, it does the state can't, the state isn't necessarily drawn a certain way. I mean, actually, that actually is more of a close contest that is decided in November. However, the candidates that run are decided in the primary, which is another story. Um, but in many other races, particularly our congressional races in Ohio, uh, the the decision is really made in the primary. Um, it is almost impossible to beat someone. Uh, who is uh, correspondingly matched to their gerrymandered uh, district identity uh, in November because it's just too late. So, so, so we learn about this, and we see the disconnect. And and uh, and I heard this this issue of the part about this issue of the parties, um, and and this this concept that well you could be a person who helped decide who was on the ballot. And so I thought, well, how does this work? And um, I'll do more detail on this in the next podcast, but I want to just kind of give sort of a glimpse of it today. But what happens is, is if the primary is the controlling contest, the primary is, the, is where the decision is made, um, it's, you can make a corresponding kind of state, mathematical statement if, that, that applies. It says, he who controls the primary controls the general. Meaning, if I can control the primary or if, you know whatever entity controls who wins in the primary... Given the district is automatic in November, well, then they control the general. So, this being true, then you can you can dig into that to that to that question: Who does control the primary? How how? What is the dynamic of a primary election? And and just in asking that question, you're all you you just found yourself in uncharted territory. Most people are thinking November. Most people are thinking you know late contest. Most people think well, I can watch the news. I can complain. I can. I mean, I literally I've I've seen very accomplished talk show people, talking head political pundit types, you know, literally I've spoken at an event one time, I'll, I'll spare this guy naming him where he was like, he has a bullhorn, you know, and he's going, we're going to show them in November you know, how we really feel. And this was in one of the most gerrymandered districts in the, in the fricking universe. Okay. And it was just such a ridiculous thing to say. It was such a, just a way to get the cat crowd pumped up and screaming and shouting. And, um, just, but just absolutely ineffectual and a joke, uh, and so. So thinking about how does the primary, what is the dynamic of the primary, um, is just really you're already in uncharted territory for most people, but but let's look at it a little bit more. So everybody's been to an election and seen, uh, the party hand out a slate card, okay, these are these. So if you're a Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. They hand you, I remember years ago, because I'm a Republican, I remember going to an election and taking the Democrat card <clears throat> because there wasn't anybody there standing out there, handing out the Republican card. And it told me, I, I, I used it as a way, like, oh, here's all the people I'm going to vote against. Um, these cards are, are relied upon, uh, voters reply, rely upon these cards to help them decide who they're going to vote for. Now, in most elections, there'll be kind of a high profile race. <clears throat> um, sometimes we call it the shiny object race. Now, I'll use that term several times, I'm sure, in these podcasts. Um, in a shiny object race, people spend most of their time thinking about that race. Now, we just came out in 2016. We just came through the primary season. Um, a few more primaries are left as I record this, but I mean, it's basically over. Um, when people go to the polls in the primary like this, they're thinking about the president. Um, they've watched the news. They've watched the debates. They've read the, you know I mean? They've read the paper. They've, they've talked with one another. They've gone on and on back and forth about president, president, president. And if, if you've got in your life only a certain amount of time to be able to talk about politics, well, for most people, they spent most of that time talking about president, okay? Um, and by the time they get to the primary, they don't have any idea who the rest of the candidates are. Um, they might know their congressperson. But literally, I've been in elections where I've seen voters walking on the polls, you know, hoping to. when John Boehner was Speaker of the House or someone came to the polls uh, in one of the primaries I was, I was working in recent years. And she said, I want to vote for that Boehner. And I thought, wow, you're you're not even in the right district. Um, she didn't even know who her congressperson was. I mean, if you do polling, you say, how many people can name their state senator? Uh, and it's just like, it's, it's some small number. I think it's like a third or something. Well, when you drill down even further and you say state, state senate, not U.S. Senate, but state senate, okay, almost no one knows who that is. Um, their state representative. I mean, few, few people know who their state representative is. Um, you break it into, you know, other elected offices like Kirk clerk of courts and recorder and, you know, county commissioner. The, these kind of races like this, unless somebody is actually really close to following local government, for the most part, they have no idea who these people are. And so when the party produces that slate card in the primary for these elections, they put the names of all the people that are their favorite candidates on the card. And people go in, they're thinking president, and they go, well, I don't know who else to vote for on these other races, so what I'll do is I'll lay that card down. And they just tick off the names that are provided to them. They they rely on, they trust the parties to make recommendations that are going to be in line with the principles of the party um, and move their team forward. Um, it's really just a natural thing. As human beings, we rely on shortcuts. I mean, we if you had to think through every little detailed decision that you made, it would just be you'd never be able to function. I mean, you wouldn't get out your door in the morning. Um, so it is just a common thing. And when we originally got involved with politics, or when I originally got involved with politics, I remember thinking like, well, no, we're going to inform everybody in detail and we're going to give them a chance to think about it. And we're gonna get people really thinking deeply on these topics. And, and I kind of learned in time, I mean, not that that's not a noble goal, but the reality was people just didn't want to do that. I mean, they're just too busy. They got too much going on. I mean, I just, and it just wasn't a realistic expectation. And, what, and what, what it ended up being was that people truly rely on the party apparatus or the party infrastructure to help them understand who the candidates are, help them select team members for them. And so, so this slate card exists. And, and, and as relates to the story that we'll tell in the subsequent podcast, the party infrastructure that's behind that card is critical. Um, in my county, if an individual wants to be endorsed by the party, okay, they win an endorsement from the party. They have to. They have to appear before the central committee. They have, they have a series of, of requirements they have to meet. They have to give their information to the chairman before, you know, at a certain time period before the primary begins. They have to get go meet the executive committee. They have to have an interview, um, and they be they're determined qualified by the executive committee. And it's all the steps they have to go through in order to finally appear before the state, or rather the the county central committee, uh, to then have a vote cast about whether or not they're going to be. The endorsed candidate. And if you're an endorsed candidate, <clears throat> that's how you get your name on that card. Okay. Um, in our county, uh, at the time we started this, and I'll kind of, I might just tell the story in reference to our early days. Um, there were 200 precincts in the county. And the way this works is <clears throat> one person per precinct can serve on central committee. And central committee positions are determined in the primary election. So if you live in a voter precinct, like a neighborhood, you can, there's, if you call the board of elections and say, hey, I'd like to run for Central Committee, you can, these these primaries are deter these decisions are determined in the primary. In our county, they're every four years, and some counties are every two years. But you can go to them and say, hey, I'd like to run. And if you file on the filing deadline, which is 90 days before the primary election, they have a requirement that says you need to have five valid signatures from people in your party, or sometimes independents, it can be a mix, and you should check with your board of elections if you get the exact details. But... You turn in this form that says you want to run 90 days before the primary. It has to get approved. <clears throat> they look at it. They, val- they validate the signatures. And assuming you get approved, your name can be on the ballot. And these people then <clears throat> run in these neighborhood races, and, the, and they win or lose and on the primary day. Um, in most cases, uh, well, I should say most cases, in about a third, it depends on when you look at it and the timing, but it's uh, a third of these positions nobody even files for them. Okay, This, this position so little known or there's so little interest or people are so busy focused on November. And I get a little edgy on that cuz I I don't mean to give people a hard time for focusing on the wrong thing, but it's like I mean after years and years of talking about it, it's really sometimes frustrating to think there are answers to these problems and then people just don't want to hear them. Uh, but you're listening to this, so you do want to hear them. So this is, I'll we'll, you know, we'll hang in there. We'll get it all together. But so these positions are often vacant. <clears throat> um uh, and then the remaining positions, there might be maybe, let's say, let's say a half or so, you know, depending where you are, um, somebody does run, over, re- roughly 90% of them run unopposed. So in most cases, uh, the people who are interested in stepping into this space <clears throat> have a really easy access to it. Um, and these are the individuals who, you know, after all that process, if somebody says, I want to I get endorsed, these are the people that, is, that, that the candidates or prospective candidates speak to in order for these votes to occur, decide whether or not they're going to be endorsed. Um, A a critical element of this whole story is something called the endorsement meeting. And this is kind of where it all happens. Um, It's a night. Sometimes it's, you know, two, three hour night uh, where the candidates appear before the committee finally and say, hey, this is me. This is what I believe in. This is my track record. Um, In many cases, it's been months. They've sent resumes to the central committee members. They've met with them. They've spoken at uh, smaller meetings. Um, many of them, you know, they'll go out for coffee, they'll talk, they'll call on the phone, they'll do all this stuff just to meet the central committee members. And the central committee members that night and the night of the endorsement meeting, cast the votes to decide whether or not who, who they're going to endorse or whether or not they're going to endorse anybody. Um, in our County, you need to get 60% of the vote of the central committee to get an endorsement. Okay. So if you're a candidate, you do all the process, you get your letters in on time, you do all this stuff, you follow all the steps, uh, and you make your way through. And let's say you receive an endorsement from the party. Well, what that means then is your name will be included on that sample guide that gets handed out before the election or gets distributed widely. Now, an important factor is something we've learned as a part of the whole process is that you can, you know, a party can endorse, but if they don't produce a nice card and they don't spend the money to get it into the hands of voters, there's not much point to it. I mean, you still have to be able to, I mean, you can endorse candidates, but if, they, if nobody knows who your endorsed candidates are, you, you, this, you know, this can break down the process. But nonetheless, uh, assuming the card's supported and it gets in the hands of the people, our experience has been, uh, you know, over 90% of the candidates that are endorsed will win their race in the county. Um, and so, and by winning that race, they win the primary and then they go on to be a lock in the general. And, and in this case, my county, which I, I should point out the distinction, um, is Claremont County, Ohio, which is a very Republican county. Um, a Democrat hasn't won a race here for decades on a partisan election. Um, so we are just like those congressional districts, those 80% of districts in that. The real decision is in the primary. Okay, now, so, so how this all unfolds is the central committee. One of kind of the high cotton things that's part of the story of of getting involved in this space is the ability to be the person. If you run for central committee and you win one of those seats, will you become the person or one of the people who votes to decide whether or not somebody gets endorsed? Okay, and that is an extremely powerful thing. And in the absence of the citizens stepping into that space what who the people who generally do step into that space <clears throat> are insiders um, throughout the state <clears throat> because this issue is not well known um, or people decide they'd rather you know protest wave flags and bumper stickers on their cars and you know yeah, you listen to talk radio or whatever uh, do all these things that are proven over and over and over again to be ineffectual um, they decide not to get involved now Ohio has 9160 precincts currently. So we have a population of 11,500,000 people. Um, what you need is about four to 5,000 people statewide to step up and run for and win these seats. And what you do is it puts regular citizens in those chairs <coughs> for these endorsement votes. Um, the process varies from county to county. Some counties don't endorse, and we'll talk about that in another podcast, how uh, some ca- counties have really abdicated their voice <coughs> in, in these decisions. But that's, that's another story for, for a later, a later uh, uh, talk. But today, the idea is that we could have regular citizens get involved with this and change the paradigm. And in in lieu of citizens getting involved, regular people getting involved, what you have is insiders. You have people who know the system. You have people who are, for the most part, uh, a part of it financially somehow. Um, You have elected officials. You have county employees. You have contractors. You have relatives of elected officials. You have... Um, people who, are, who have some sort of a conflict of interest relationship that run because they're the ones paying attention to how this works. They're the ones who know how, how, what's involved, uh, and they then never run and, and fill these seats. <laughs> um, and so the issue here is putting more people in the seats <clears throat> that are regular folks. And I, I use a term, I kind of created a term for this. I call it doing political jury duty. Um, people who would be willing to, and this is a this is a process, uh, an involvement in these committees, you know. I mean, technically, you could just show up for the endorsement, but which would be, you know, maybe like an hour or two. <clears throat> it would be like two or three hours because sometimes these meetings are long um, for the endorsements because there's a lot of candidates speaking. It's actually a very exciting meeting. Um, Rick Heron, my, again, my mentor in this meeting, says, these are so great, these meetings, you know had to charge admission. Um, but nonetheless, you know, a, a person could spend maybe an hour, every two months or so. I mean, the time commitment involved with Central Committee is much less than many other things. And relative to the impact, I mean, it's just staggering how little time is involved relative to the amount of difference that it makes. Um, And, you know, and I would suggest to people that, you know, for how many hours are they watching Talking Heads on TV every month? I mean, how many hours are they listening to talk radio? How many hours are they, you know, uh, you know, complaining at the water cooler about what's going on with the country? I mean, if you just take, you know, 10% of that time, not even that much for most people. Um, and get involved with this process. You know, you can make this absolutely stunning difference. Which again, we'll describe in more detail as the podcast go on. Um, but so, I just want to, you know, frame frame the context to say, <clears throat> you either have the citizens involved or you have the insiders involved. And sometimes I use the term relative to the central committee to say garbage in, garbage out. I mean, if you if you just have crony insiders who are there to appoint their pals and endorse their friends, um, you're going to get lousy results. And to the degree that the citizens don't get involved in this process, um, there's going to be a weakening of the integrity of the parties. Now, I've focused on endorsements, but it's way more than that, okay? Um, The county central committees also send representatives to the Board of Elections who are involved with making decisions about elections and upholding the integrity of our elective process. Um, Central committee members elect the party leadership on a county level, so they'll elect a chairman and... Uh, they'll, they'll approve, write and approve the bylaws for the party. Uh, they're responsible for the integrity of the party. So that if you had an elected official in a county level, let's say, who campaigned to be fiscally responsible, but then turned around and spent a bunch of money or was really opposite. I mean, the party could have the opportunity to censure that, that elected official. And when they speak as the county Democrat party or the county Republican party, whatever it is, when I mean, the media pays attention. I mean, this is a big deal <clears throat> for the party to say, hey, this is supposedly... One of our own, but he or she is off the reservation, and that's that. It has it has a very powerful and authoritative voice. Um, so the party has this 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 role, and I focus on kind of the the leverage point of endorsements because it's such a powerful thing. But really, what it's responsible for is the integrity of the party. And if you look at why people have abandoned the parties in droves, you know they'll tell you, well, that party puts up this candidate who's lousy, and you know says he's gonna he's gonna protect our liberty, and then doesn't or does the opposite. But if you, if you scratch that even deeper, what people are saying is I'm really mad because I thought they were supposed to represent what I believe and they're not doing it. Okay. They're astray and you have a choice as a citizen. I mean, you know, but frankly, most citizens don't even know they have a choice. They just complain. They go, well, the party, they, them, those guys, they did it, you know? And they say, well, you know, I'm not a Democrat anymore. I'm not a Republican anymore. I'm not a whatever it is anymore because they don't represent me. I didn't leave them. They left me. And there's this whole sense of pointing a finger at someone else being responsible. And what I would suggest to you, and again, as we go through these podcasts, (sighs) the responsibility lies with the people. Now, I suppose there's some, you know, give people a break because they had no idea that this was even an issue or that they could even impact this process. And frankly, I didn't know either. Okay. I mean, I, in 2009, I had, before 2009, I had never heard the word central committee before in my life. I had no idea. And whenever there was an election, I would go down and volunteer and say, what can I do to help out? You know, they would hand me a sign. They would hand me a phone. They would hand me a script or a door-to-door thing or, you know, stuff to hand out at the polls. <clears throat> but they never said to me, oh, hey, thanks for coming out. I'll tell you what I'd like you to do. Could you run for central committee? Can you become one of these voting members who decides who the candidates are? I mean, that never happened. Okay. And, and I, would, I would suggest that it's, you know, I mean, for good reason, right? I mean, I, this is a very powerful position. And in my township, which is a story I'll tell in another podcast, when we got involved, there were 42 seats um, <clears throat> available. There are 42 precincts. But when we first engaged this, only 13 of them had elected officials in them. And the elected officials, who the, the people who ran for precinct committee <clears throat> elected leadership. And what they were able to do, a really neat trick, was appoint friends and pals to the open seats. So from a certain standpoint... It was even better for them if people didn't know about it because they could fill all those empty seats with friends, relatives, acquaintances, people who were going to show up to the endorsement meeting and support them and their favored candidates. And so it's actually there's actually sort of an incentive <clears throat> on the part of the establishments, oddly enough, uh, to keep the seats to, to, to not talk about the story much. Uh, necessarily, because to the degree that they can keep control of it and fill the seats with people that agree with them and will will support their pals and their their buddies and their cronies, uh, then that uh, they're served by the process. So so this is really, I'll, I'll kind of I'll wrap it up there and say, hey, this is the first day of this. Um, we'll take our time and go through these uh, uh, you know each little part of you know what it's about and how it works. Um, and I think that the next podcast that I'll do, i'll I'll really try to spend more time on the how to. And so we'll go through some of the numbers. Uh, from my county, and I'll try to show you how how many votes are actually influenced by Central Committee and, and the impact that this has. Uh, but for today, just I hope I was successful in making the point that this is a critically important element for changing the direction of our country. Um, if you want to see better people on the ballot, you have to get involved in the process earlier than November. How much earlier? Well, we'll go through and talk about how, how much earlier. turns out, even before the primary. And so uh, there's a political time that's different than the time the voters use. Uh, when people are thinking about President you know The establishment's already thought about who was in the party and was going to support the candidates they wanted years beforehand. And it's really not that. It seems like, oh, that's going to take so long to change. But the reality is, if we could get a national voice or somebody who really could uh, help spread this message around the country, it wouldn't take two, four years uh, before you know significant number of states would have a very changed paradigm. Uh, because the citizens got involved and, and and said, hey, listen, you know, we want to get better, better candidates. We want to uphold the integrity of the parties. So I will leave it there for today. Uh, and I hope I've, I hope I've uh, at least uh, whetted your appetite or got you interested to hear more. Um, this is a critical issue. Uh, and, I, and I would say again, <clears throat> there is just nothing like it. I mean, I have done uh, I've led, you know, large statewide organizations, uh, I guess the largest liberty groups in Ohio uh, and, and some, you know, depending on how you look at the numbers. Um, I've protested, I've rallied, I've been in signature campaigns, I've done, I've just done everything. And, uh, you know, if you said to me, well, what's the one thing that you've done, you know, relative to the amount of time you've spent on it and its impact that you can call out above all the rest? And without a doubt, I mean, by miles, uh, it is involvement in Central Committee. We have really made huge changes. We have taken on tough political people who've been there a long time. Uh, we've, we've, we've accomplished feats that nationally people haven't been able to accomplish. And we've elected, you know, dozens and dozens. In fact, by some estimations, over 150 people, uh, in my County, because of engaging in this process, the way we have has been, uh, just phenomenally successful and, and, and and it has an impact like no other. So thanks for listening today and I'll catch up with you in the next podcast. Uh, and, and, oh also should say that if you go to my website, com, you can pick up, uh. I have an email list there. That'd be great if you if you are so disposed to subscribe to. Uh, I, I send something out about once a week. Um, when people sign up for the first time, they get the, f- the first chapter of the book I wrote for free, which is really what I'm going to cover in the next podcast, uh, which really goes through the details of how the numbers work in the Central Committee process and, and its impact. But so, hey, uh, you know, well, let's stay in touch. And uh, I appreciate you listening, and we'll be back with you soon. Bye-bye.